Okay, do you want the joke about the strawberry or a joke that's kind of more Calgarian? Oh my god. No one's ever come with a choice of jokes, like a joke menu. I don't know how to answer this, and people listening to this are going to have their own preferences, so I, th I think you should just tell us both. Okay, I'll start with the strawberry joke. Okay. It's a classic. Uh, why was the strawberry late for work? Why? Because he was in a jam. Oh. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Okay, all right. Okay. That's good. Knock, knock. Who's there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe I'm setting myself up you for this. You have to say it. Yahoo. Yahoo. I'm so happy to be here with you, too. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. Hello, this is the Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert, and you are wasting too much food. We all are. Canadians throw away an obscene amount of perfectly good food each year. Every day, we waste food in our homes. Our supermarkets throw away literal tons of food because we're too picky about minor blemishes on our produce. But while we're throwing that food away, that perfectly good food, there's other people right here, right in Calgary, members of our community, who are in need of food. My guest today is Lourdes Juan, who has about a hundred different ongoing projects and endeavors on her resume, but what I most wanted to talk to her about was the Leftovers Foundation, which is an organization she started to take some of that perfectly edible food, headed for the trash, and redirect it towards those in the community who could make use of it. We had a great conversation about how she managed to do that and about what comes next. But first, just before we get there, a quick reminder that this show relies on your support. If you like this podcast, tell a friend, share it on social media, leave a review in your podcast app, or help keep this show going by contributing a buck or two or whatever on Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca for more information, and thank you. And now, here is my conversation with Lourdes Juan. Yeah, it's on my list. <laughs> it's on my list of things to do. Okay, uh, online depository of uh, <laughs> Calgarian knockout jokes. Maybe like Cal Calgary's joke history. There's got to be somebody should do that. There's we're on to something here. I <laughs> someone's gonna steal this idea. <laughs> Edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lourdes, what do you do? I feel like <laughs> I feel like I know I know the things that you do generally just from what your public uh, public persona, but. How do you, when people, say, when you're at a party and someone's like, so what do you do? And you're like, I do 19 different things. Yeah, it kind of changes. Sometimes I'm like, I'm a business owner. Or sometimes I say I'm a, an urban planner. Um, so I guess it just depends what I feel like talking about. It's like when the customs agent asks, you know, what do you do for work? Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I own a spa. 
and they let me through and sometimes I say I'm an entrepreneur and they say well what do you what else do you do <laughs> and then you know it turns into this long conversation I mean drug dealers are entrepreneurs so that I seems know, like a good that's why trouble. the conversation goes longer <laughs> yeah you don't try and just like wear them out just like listing all of the things in detail that you do i'm gonna do that next time yeah. actually they're just like all right i give up just go on just lucky go for the customs agent who gets me next <laughs> <laughs> um okay so you do a bunch of different things the first thing i want to start with is leftovers sure because that's that's something that really appeals to me i think it's a great idea i didn't know Thanks. it was happening for the longest time i mean it's not that old it's only like a couple years old i think it's right? seven years old what i know i know it started in 2012 so when i say it's seven years old it's because i did a my first pickup in 2012 and that's really when things started to to happen um, okay, so first start off by telling people what is Leftovers. So um, the Leftovers Foundation is a now charitable charitable organization that rescues unsold food from bakeries, grocery stores, and restaurants. And uh, through a volunteer network in Calgary and Edmonton, we donate about 6,000 pounds of food per week uh, to service agencies and schools in need. Basically. Basically. <laughs> I mean, that's just fantastic. Uh, I've told a few people that you were going to be on the podcast next and they're like, oh, I don't know who's, who's Lotus One. And I'm like, oh, she does this cool thing. And I explain what it is. And they're like, that's amazing. I have no idea that was, oh, go that was a thing. <laughs> but like, it seems like it's flown under the radar a little bit. Yeah, it's completely grassroots. It honestly began um, because one of the uh, local franchises in Calgary, actually, I think they're a large franchise, but they're locally owned in Calgary. Um, Cobb's Bread, they have a program where they donate all of their excess food at the end of their day. Hmm. Um, and the thing with Cobb's and many bakeries is they'll appeal to the consumer, like most businesses, and consumers will always purchase from a full shelf. Um, so if they fill their shelves full of bread and pastries, we as consumers are more likely to purchase from that rather than sort of the lone loaf on a shelf. Right. You don't want the last sad, lonely, yeah, lonely loaf. Yeah, one does. I always do now. <laughs> but this is seven years in the making. Um, so what they do is they have a charitable program where they allow charities to pick up, charities and churches um, and the like, to pick up bread um, at the end of the day. So I was just helping my cousin that one night for his church. Um, he needed a second vehicle to come help pack the bread. He had a small car. Um, and so I just went to go meet him. And honestly, when you see what 150 to 200 pounds of bread looks like in front of you, that's, you know, if you weren't there going to go into the garbage, um, it's pretty appalling. Like it's a lot of bread. It fills up a pickup truck. And so we took the bread to the drop-in center just because I had no idea where else to take the bread. I um, at the time, and still am a business owner, but had no idea about the nonprofit sector or the drop-in center or anything like that. And I thought, well, there's a drop-in center downtown. Maybe they'll accept the bread. So we brought it there, and the gentleman at the loading dock was really, um, really kind. And he said, you know, thank you. This is going to last us um, until tomorrow at noon because we serve 3,000 meals a day. Right. And that really... Like just understanding those numbers. So you have, you know, 12 or 15 Cobb's Bread locations in Calgary who are all open seven days a week. And at the end of the day, they donate their food. And then you have 
you know, hundreds of service agencies that could potentially use the food. I wasn't sure, you know, why we weren't just delivering food from one place to the next. So that night I sort of went down this like rabbit hole on online of food waste. I had no idea it was an issue. Um, you, you know, you sort of have the blinders on as a business owner and you can only really focus on your thing. But I, I just thought, this is crazy. We are throwing away at the time in 2012, the statistics were $31 billion of food each year. In Canada? Or in Canada. Yeah. Is that wild? That's a crazy number. Now yeah. it's 49 billion wow. is what we throw out. So we just, um, you know, we're either incentivized to throw out food, whether it's, you know, being sent incentivized to buy bulk um, or we just simply don't finish the food on our plates. So whatever it is through this sort of entire, you know, the supply chain, we're wasting food at every single level. And so I found myself at like Starbucks and Phil and Sebastian and Sidewalk Citizen um, ordering a, a tea and a croissant and asking if I could have the rest of their croissants at the end of the day if they didn't sell them. And that's how that started. And what did they say? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like Aviv from Sidewalk, who's now on our board, was one of the first sort of local people to come on board. He helped me bring on Phil and Sebastian. We had a lot of local restaurants that came on board, Una and and uh, uh, the Fine Diner, and these places that were really kind of smaller, but kind of understood that they didn't want their food to go to waste either. And so I just set up this schedule on an Excel document um, and then just recruited family and friends to to help, you know, rescue food. And, and we had certain times that people picked up and the agencies knew that they were coming at that time and the vendors knew that they were picking up the food at that time. So it just kind of ballooned and now is bigger than I ever thought it would ever be. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the, the team and, and their work and, and what everyone has contributed because certainly I did not know what I was doing when I started. Yeah, but it took somebody to make those connections, like just to realize and facilitate that, that bridge, I guess. Um, can you give me some numbers on, on what you guys, how much food you rescue, how many businesses you're working with? Yeah, so I think it's over 53 different service agencies um, in Calgary and Edmonton. So that's anywhere from, um, you know, the women's emergency shelter, the drop-in center we still work with, the mustard seed, and then smaller outfits like Cornerstone Youth. Um, we donate to some schools as well. Um, and then our vendor count I think we're over 70 now in wow. vendors. In both cities. Um, yeah, combined yeah. in both cities. And then our volunteer count is pretty remarkable. It's 800 um, wow. people that, you know, drive their car, use their own time, their own gas, their own vehicle to pick up and deliver food. Um, so we don't have, uh, we have some routes that are empty, but we've developed a smartphone app to kind of help mitigate um to help mitigate that and that's actually launched tomorrow <laughs> april 1st <laughs> april 1st which will be a few days prior when you're listening to this that's right <laughs> that's right um so where, where does the food come from now like it's still a lot of bakeries or so a lot of bakeries um our largest sort of um grocery store is blush lane just because they have so many different locations mm. and all their food is lovely and organic and um they 
sort of understand food waste and understand that there's agencies that could use the food. And so anything that they can't sell, uh, we we donate. Um, the food isn't, you know, I think when people think of sort of my... Um, my fault as well, I called the foundation leftovers, but it's because I wanted to put a positive spin on something that you know, we typically don't see as something we want to eat. But the whole point of it was there's nothing wrong with leftovers. Yeah. You, know, th- you can repurpose it, you can do so many things with it. Um, best before dates are um, just that, they're best before dates, they're not expiry dates. Um, we do work with our vendors um, to make sure that we're picking up um, sort of a few days or a week before the expiry or the best before just to make sure that uh, the agencies, they'll use it up in 24 to 48 hours. Um, but Blush Lane's one of our biggest. We still work with some Cobbs locations. Um, a lot of the smaller markets, so like Luke's and Bridgeland Market and all those um, players are really engaged in the food rescue space in Calgary. That's great. It feels like the uh, the biggest food waste culprits would be the supermarkets. Yeah. And have you have you had any conversations with them? Is there any? I definitely have. I think one week I called Walmart. I don't know how many times. An embarrassing amount of times. Um, just to try to get them on the phone and talk about um, you know how we could pick up from we could pilot it at one location and you know start with that and see how it goes. Um, but they have sort of this seeming sense of um, liability, um, and so they're afraid if someone gets sick off the food that they're going to be on the hook for it. Um, but I've sent them, you know, documentation. The Charitable Food Donation Act is one of them, um, and every province has uh, their own act. And it basically says if you're not, um, you know, donating food that's visibly moldy, rotten, or old, um, it's kind of like a Good Samaritan Act. So it kind of protects every party involved. Right, so you couldn't sue Walmart for something like that. No, no, but it's happened in the States, I think. Um, Uh So I've heard. I think the supermarkets, um, one, they want consistency, of course, which is reasonable. They want someone to be there at, you know, 9 p.m. every single night or something, five days a week. And that's a little bit unreasonable for like a volunteer organization to, um, to, to do, especially if they want that kind of straight off the bat. So there's a barrier, I think, there with capacity. Mm-hmm. And then there's the liability barrier. Um, and then there's this sort of barrier of, well, we don't know who makes the decision in this. We, you know, does that come from a store manager? Is that store manager gonna get in trouble from head office or how does that all work? So it's been difficult to navigate the one grocery store that we did bring on is Save On Foods. Um, they mm. actually already redirect a lot of their produce um, to farms through a company called Loop Resources. And so Loop will pick up um, a lot of their, I'm going to call it waste, but a lot of their um, food to animal feed. And it was the farmers that were saying, you know, yeah, this is great for my animals, but there's so much. Can we redirect some of it for humans. Um, And so Save On and Leftovers is starting a partnership. Um, Save On, Loop and Leftovers are starting a partnership where we're meeting um, the Loop representative and the Save On representative at Save On Foods at certain times of the day. And we're picking up what we can for service agencies and the rest is going to animal feed. So they're the largest, I would say, um, 
grocery store that uh, is on board with this stuff. Yeah. So when you started this, when you started going down this road, not knowing what you were doing, as you say, did you have some idea in mind of what you wanted to achieve? Like you saw this, um, this moral wrong happening that like this food was going to waste and these other people were in need of food and you wanted to, you know, connect, make those connections. But in terms of a goal or something that you wanted to, to make happen, did you have anything that you were specifically aspiring to? Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to mobilize volunteers. That was the one thing that I was sure of. I was so sure that people would come on board, um, you know, this cause. One, because we didn't have anything like it in Calgary. And two, I thought, you know, at one point, someone, everyone has at one point in their life, either worked in a restaurant, so seen the sheer amount of food waste, um, or not finished their food, or took too much, or ate at a buffet, and all of these things. So I knew I could um, get volunteers on board to kind of help understand just the food waste problem. From a service agency lens, when I talked to the agencies, one of my questions was, you know, do you have budget for food? Like, how do you guys pay for feeding your, your clients? Or, um, you know, what happens when someone comes through the door? What, you know, how do you, how do you feed them? How do you keep them and, and go through rehab programs and all that kind of stuff? So I knew nothing about the service agency um, uh, sector. And so, and talking to every single one, like all the time, I learned something new all the time about each particular agency. Um, and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to get people to know more about food waste and then know more about um, the agency side of things. So like the wonderful and remarkable work that's going on in our city, I feel like people should know about it. And even still like seven years later, I'm finding organizations or they're finding us where I had no idea this work was going on. Um, and I think that that's pretty, um, I think that's pretty remarkable. And I want other people to know um, about that stuff. So just engaging people, I guess, was one of the things that I wanted, I wanted to do. And, and that's a continuous um, process. <laughs> Are there any, I guess, where, where do you go from here? Um, are you going to just try and get more vendors? Are you going to try and scale up? Or are, there, are you like sort of, you, you said that it's like kind of a barrier to get like the biggest supermarkets, which would, you know, both mm -hmm. take a big chunk out of food waste. They're probably the biggest wasters of food, but also the, the scale and the, the corporate structure, like it just makes it challenging. So is there still room to grow with what you're doing or do you need to like seriously level up? Yeah, no, absolutely. This is something I think of all the time. I think that there's different ways that we can, that we can level up. Certainly I've built leftovers um, where it's replicable. I like to build everything so that it's replicable because if it does social good, I you know, it, it can be, um, plopped into any city and done within that context. So we're working with the city of Edmonton right now to kind of figure out what um, food rescue and what uh, food access looks like in Edmonton. Um, I've learned a lot, I think, in the last seven years about this connection between, um, you know, wasted food and, uh, and food insecurity. And, you know, at first we were kind of marketing leftovers as um, you know, this will solve food insecurity. 
and it 100% does not. <laughs> um, food insecurity is, you know, and this is sort of what we've learned over the years, um, it's a basic household income issue. It's not something that our organization can work on, but we can work on food access and we can work at redirecting and repurposing food um, so that there's sort of creative ways to do that um, and so that the food just doesn't get wasted. And you're seeing it more and more now. I was just in Vancouver and there is a, a juice company and uh, they you know, make their juices and bottle their juices all from rescued food items. Um, and they're called Loop. And so it's an interesting way to sort of, you know, take the excess from whatever, you know, level of the supply chain and um, juice it. And then you give it, you know, that extra life, you give it a second life, um, and then you're not wasting that food. And I've seen so many examples. Um, we're working with Cold Garden right now um, because some of the bread that we were donating to the drop-in center was too crusty, like sourdough bread is just mm. not great. Um, and we were finding that the drop-in center, it was just going to waste. And so we are now taking that bread and donating it to Cold Garden and they're brewing um, a, beer. A beer out of sourdough? <laughs> yeah, oh, a beer man. out of like... Um, it's Italian center and sidewalk citizen bread that they're brewing beer from. So now you have this like rescued bread beer, um, which is, you know, one, another creative way to repurpose. So in terms of expansion, um, I guess would be the best word for it. We're just looking at cool and creative ways to repurpose food. Um, and we're not limiting ourselves to, um, to just agencies. Um, we're getting agencies the food that they are either requesting um, or that they need. Um, and we're taking other types of foods and we're repurposing those. Um, I don't know how replicable those ideas are in each city. I think every city is different and it's very contextual. Um, part of our expansion for leftovers, because I was thinking about, you know, if, we're, if we can't work on food insecurity, I know we can work on food access. I know I can mobilize our vendors and get them engaged to um, you know, bring food into community. And so last year we piloted um, a program called the Community Mobile Food Market, um, which basically in my head uh, drives or you know, purchases food from local farmers and just sort of is a, like a pop-up market in different areas of the city that are um, either in a food desert or vulnerable or marginalized to some extent. And getting them food right to their doorstep um, was sort of the, the idea behind it. Uh, we had partnered with the city of Calgary um, and their home program and worked with social workers to help understand what the need was in each of their communities, what types of foods they were looking for, um, if they would buy food um, from the market, if it was right at their doorstep, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that project turned, uh, it was eight, supposed to be eight markets a month. Um, that project out of the Leftovers Foundation turned into 37 markets a month, which we're at today. Um, and a new nonprofit organization has sort of spawned from that, um, which I've magically become the co-founder for, which is like <laughs> not something that we had planned, obviously. But um, the need to get people food right, you know, right um, where it's accessible for them was really important to Calgarians. Um, and so that model works 
Um, we purchase food from, we have a partnership with a local farmer's outlet, um, and we take some of the donated bread from Prairie Mill and Lazy Loaf, which are local companies that were okay with sort of the resell of their food. Um, and we, you know, put everything into this uh, refrigerated truck and we bring it out to community and we sell food for about 60% below like a Loblaws price. Oh. Um, and so these communities are, and there's no, you know, uh, proof of income or anything when you come to the market. You can shop at it um, uh, wherever you are in your life. And uh, we stop at train stations. There's all kinds of sort of fun things that we're doing with the market just to make food more accessible um, for the public. Oh, wow, that's great. Tell me, tell me a little bit about uh, your background. Like, I know that you are someone who does a million different things. Whereas I am someone who's only ever doing half of one thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, like, I know you started off, I read that you started off working in an architecture firm when you were 14. I did. I what did. the hell? Who does that? No, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Um, it honestly was because I, that happened because I didn't know what I wanted to do and high school like really wasn't for me. So I went to Bishop Carroll, which is um, sort of a self-directed study. Um, and when I was there, I just, it wasn't the same high school, I think that, you know, other people are accustomed to where you have classes and teachers. It wasn't like that at all. It was very independent sort of learning. And I thought I wanted to be an architect, um, but, uh, so, so, so I thought I wanted to be an architect. So what I did was I went through the co-op program at the at Bishop Carroll High School, and um, I was placed with BCMP Architects, um, which was a sort of a small to mid-sized architecture firm back when I was 40 years old, and uh, I literally worked there. Uh, yeah, I, I I worked there gluing carpet to foam core and like you know using the ammonia printer back in the day and like making copies for people hang on what the hell's an ammonium printer it's like this stinky blue um it's like where blueprints are made so you can like you put the actual print through that you want and then it spits out um blueprints but you have to be there and you have to sort of like it prints in ammonia yeah so it's like um yeah it smells really really okay bad. all right i didn't know that was a thing all right continue um, <laughs> i mean now we just have regular printers but it was a blueprint um the, the age of the blueprints um and so i did that for years and they just kept me on and i would take up job odd jobs when i could and i would file and i would get coffee and I mean, I was 14. I was like, you weren't, you weren't designing buildings. No, I wasn't really capable of doing much, but it put me in an environment where I, you know, could have mentors when I was 14. And as the company grew, so did my position. Um, I went to university. I took an undergraduate degree in general studies. I eventually got into a master's program of environmental design, uh, which I finished um, in urban planning. So that's sort of my professional, or sort of my background by training, I guess. Okay. Keep going, because I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I know that you did more than that. <laughs> so then, um, 
So that sort of hat um, continued until I was um, till 2010, and that architecture company got bought out by a large construction company. And at that time, I had been there for 12 years, um, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but that's how long I was there. Um, and they were, you know, nice enough to let myself and my mentor sort of take our clients and uh, and part ways. And so we were able to open up our respective. Um, urban planning companies my mentor had his and I opened mine in 2010 and it's been around for nine years so I still do um, I'm a development consultant so I work with developers to help them um, sort of to navigate and stick handle them through the the planning process okay so I'm doing the math in my head so you were you were at that company for 12 years so you were 26 when you started your own that's correct. Your yeah. own company? Yeah. And that's been around for nine years. That's 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 pretty successful. That's pretty uh, that's pretty impressive. Some years were um, you know, not how I pictured it. Entrepreneurship was not how I it's not how anyone <laughs> pictures it, I think. Um, but it's been yeah, it's it's wild that it's been nine years. It doesn't really feel like that. Um, but I love what I do and I you know, I only take on projects that I really believe in and that I really love and that wasn't the case nine years ago um, but I'm able to say that now which is which is kind of nice okay so you have also at the same time you had a side job yeah so my side hustle <laughs> one of your side hustles <laughs> so when I was I want to say 19 I think I was 19 I was in university and um, I worked reception at a medi spa um, and I worked there for eight years and the spa was very, and it was part-time and well, it was sort of, sort of fluctuating, fluctuating between part-time and full-time work. Um, and so I worked there as reception and then eventually got, uh, certified to, uh, do laser aesthetics. And so I can laser hair removal <laughs> and, um, do pigmentation removal on anyone. Uh, and I did that for a really long time. I, I really liked the... It's a, it's a usual second skill of urban yeah. designers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very typical. Yeah. Very typical. Um, it's like body planning versus like city planning. <laughs> landscaping. It's just a <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. different kind of landscaping. Exactly. Um, so I did that for a while and then I ended up managing that clinic and... Um, you know, it got to the point where my life was really busy and uh, I hate using that word, but it, it really was like my schedule was really full and it still is to some extent. But um, I like I like it being that full. Uh, and I think the owner of that Medispa and I just had a difference in sort of what self-care really looked like. It was very injectable based. It was very, you know, medically focused. Um, and that certainly wasn't my take on, on self-care. So the same year in 2010, I, uh, opened up my own, uh, spa, which was completely different in some respects. Um, and I have that spa today and we are partnered with the Marriott Hotel in Seton. So it's a bit of a trek to get out there. Not but, if you um, live in Seton. No, that's true. <laughs> more and more people are choosing to live there. Um, it's a trek for me, I guess, because I'm still <laughs> inner city. <laughs> but we were downtown for a little bit, and um, I sort of uh, saw what was 
happening in the downtown and certainly my rent increased to the point where it just was not feasible to have a tiny little <laughs> um, spa um, in the building that we were in and so we had the partnership with the Marriott coming down the pipe and um, I decided to shut down the location downtown and open up um, the one in Marriott but between sort of during the construction phase um, I opened up two pop-ups one on the west side of Calgary and one in Holt Renfrew um, just so that we could uh, sort of keep the income going and keep the brand out there while we were constructing uh, and so we started at the Marriott in 2015. So that's crazy that that's almost been four years. You should you should plug it, say the name of your <laughs> So spa. it's called Soma Hammam and Spa, and it's based um, off of the Turkish Hammam, which is a, a cleansing ritual where uh, we've built out a seven-foot heated marble table, and the treatments are performed on the table, or the hammam is performed on the table. So it's a... Uh, body scrub, uh, traditional foam wash, and uh, body butter application um, with a scalp massage and a tea ceremony. Wow. And then we do all kinds of other fun stuff like facials and massages <laughs> and nails. And um, But that was sort of my dream was to really have this, this uh, Turkish hammam. Okay, so I just want to get something straight. In yes. 2010, you started two businesses, Yes. one of which was an urban design firm. In May. And one of which was a Turkish hammam and spa. In August. Yes, but the spa started um, in my home in August. So I was living... It's still a business that requires time and effort. And it's just... Yes, I literally Googled how to start a business. And it said, incorporate. So I called up a lawyer friend and he helped me incorporate. And that's how it got started. So sitting here now, nine years later, this is all very impressive and admirable. But at the time, did anyone tell you that you were crazy? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, my sister has, we're sort of like yin and yang. Um, and I think, you know, no one was like, you shouldn't do this. Um, cause my father, um, has his own engineering company and he still consults today, 35 years later. Um, and so I think my mom knew that, you know, one of her daughters was going to follow that path. Um, but my sister Portia, I think is, um, She's more level-headed than I am, and she's like, okay, but wait, <laughs> what are you going to do? Who are your clients? What's going to happen here? And so she's been sort of um, a voice of reason, I'll call it. <laughs> if you're not level-headed, uh, how would you describe yourself? Oh, um, you know, I have a lot of ideas, um, you know, whether they're good or bad. <laughs> I certainly um, have a lot of them, and I need to... Uh, take the time to critically think them through. Um, and so that's what, um, you know, if something does come up, I don't just say, oh, that should be a business or that should be a, you know, we should do things this way. I think I'm less like that now. Um, but certainly I, uh, I have a lot of ideas of how things, um, how I think things should be run or should be done. Uh, and so I, I definitely spend a lot of time thinking about those ideas. <laughs> It seems like um, a, a line that runs through all of these stories is that they turn out to be successful endeavors. It seems like everything you touch turns to gold. Do you have any ideas or initiatives or anything like that that uh, have failed? You know what? I have seen failure um, in both companies multiple times. 
And I think that, you know, part of the, you know, success of these companies is my persistence. And, um, you know, I, I, I never want to give up unless, you know, I'm completely forced to do so. Um, I remember at one point um, when my rent was increased 176% downtown, at the downtown location, uh, I remember just like not sleeping for weeks and weeks on end because I didn't want to have conversations with my employees because I didn't want to say that we had to shut that down and that we were moving, you know, 30 minutes south. Um, and so I think failure exists all the time but it's and everywhere, but it's just something that you or something that I have had to learn from and grow from. Um, and that's what failure is for. Uh, I don't think that it's meant to um, sort of be this awful thing that happens. I think that we need to always take failure and make it into a learning experience. Um, and I think that's been, you know, part of that success. Um, I do remember to my consulting company, and it's, it's, I've been very fortunate just because we were able to sort of transition clients from the old company to, to my company. Um, but I remember feeling like it was too much, like I couldn't have 10 employees and help a you know developer do a $10 million development. Like it just wasn't possible. And I remember thinking that so often um, that I was almost like talking myself out of it. Like I was sort of trying to let myself fail. Um, and then once I got out of my own way, um, you know, it, it really started to it just continued. It just sort of, um, it just sort of happened, and now we're sitting here nine years later, and I'm still like shocked that it's almost a decade. How many employees do you have between the two companies? Uh, under twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's more than me. But it's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if I want any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's my next question. Uh, you're someone with lots of ideas and lots of initiatives and endeavors. What's what's next? Um, I really love uh, social change. So that's sort of been such a big thing that Leftovers has taught me. You know, we need to we need to work on changing people's mindsets about food waste, let's say. Or we need to start talking about food access and why we build our cities the way we do with, you know, t- a ton of neighborhoods with no access to good food. We build our cities so that discount grocery stores are at the periphery of our city and there's very little um, affordable grocery within the city Um, and so I start and I really do see leftovers through an urban planning lens uh, for the most part Um, and so I'd like to work on sort of um, bigger picture type things you know we talked about uh, leftovers and, and what the next steps are there I think it's France Germany and one other uh one other place in the EU, they've banned superstore. They've banned grocery stores from throwing away food. They yeah. must donate it. Um, that is, a, from my perspective, a seemingly easy fix for the government to say, you know, we need to work with programs so that we're not throwing away food, so that we're not tossing forty-nine billion dollars of food to sit on the landfill um, and emit methane gas. Like none of that makes sense to me. Um, and so I'd like you know to work. I think a lot on the policy end because I think that's where change can really happen is through policy. Um, and 
I have been sort of contemplating um, a political career. That was um, my next question. But only because <laughs> um, that's where I can really, you know, understand and, and work through policy and really be, you know, a strong advocate for the community um, from that position. So that's sort of what I'm thinking of next. Have you just thought about like egging Galen Weston's house? Well, I guess you shouldn't egg it. That's food waste. <laughs> that is food waste. Yeah, that's no good. I don't know. Toilet paper's house or something. Yeah, I guess toilet paper's compostable, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, a political career seems like an obvious step for you, given your interests and given you just seem to have the skill set of someone who should run for office, so. Yeah, I, you know, it's a, I think right now, well, particularly with this provincial election coming up, um, I think... Is there an election right now? <laughs> oh, did you hear about I, it? I missed I that. randomly like, yeah. ran into someone who told me. That's the only reason why I know. <laughs> um, I think that is the, the, the next step. Um, but uh, I think it's a little bit... I don't want to use the word scary, but I think it's daunting for women in politics right now. You know, but then the other half of me is like, well, it was daunting for women in business nine years ago, so... Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. You don't, that. you don't seem like someone who's easily dissuaded or intimidated. <laughs> or... Um, I like to see, I'm an optimist, I think, at heart. And so I like to, you know, know that people want to change and people want to um, contribute um, to society and to their city. And I think uh, if I can be in a position where I can help mobilize that, I think it would make me really happy. I think that's a good note to end on, so <laughs> Lotus, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for the show. Big thanks to Lourdes Juan. Uh, if you want to get involved with Leftovers or just find out more, they would love your support. Head to rescuefood.ca The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. If you like this show, please feed and water it by telling your friends, by leaving a review in your podcast app, or by making a small contribution on Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca and find me on Twitter, at TS underscore Lambert. Thanks for listening. <laughs>